Well, hello, and welcome back to You Care Too Much. I'm your host, Randy Johns, and it is an absolute joy to head into another week with all of you. Another week means another conversation with a cool somebody caring enough about humanity to lend themselves to help make it better. This week's guest worked for over 30 years in both the U.S. and internationally. For more than half of that time, she held executive leadership positions in both public and private sector technology companies. Her name is Stephanie Holt, and her experience runs the gamut from multinational corporate settings to startup environments. And what I find so fascinating about Stephanie is that her focus has been on the intersection of business outcomes and creating places where people love to work. Currently, Stephanie works to both transform more women into competent, visionary leaders and make the workplace safe and welcoming for all. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience navigating rooms full of powerful folks and is now leveraging that experience to help create a more diverse and inclusive lot in leadership for STEM and beyond. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask that if you enjoy these conversations, that you please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to give the show a five-star rating and a written review. Both help to get You Care Too Much into the ears of more folks like you who want to leave the world a little better than they found it. Also, now is as good of time as any to subscribe. That way, you'll know first thing as soon as a new episode drops. All right, my friends, without further ado, I give you the powerhouse of a human, Stephanie Holt. You, 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 you care too much. You, 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 you care too much. You, 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 you care too much. People who give a fuck, people who give a fuck, yeah. You care too much. Hello, Stephanie Holt. Hello to you. Thank you so much for joining me today on You Care Too Much. I'm so excited to talk to you. For folks listening, Stephanie has had, I'm just going to call it a prolific career in (laughs) executive leadership. And now Stephanie is doing some really cool stuff to help other women navigate that leadership path, right? So Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and who you are and just who is Stephanie? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I think once you get old enough, your career can always be described as prolific. You know, (laughs) I mean, I've done a lot of stuff because I've been around for a long, long time. And really kind of my passion is uh, women in leadership, particularly in STEM, coming from technology background myself. Um, Women are still very underrepresented in all of those companies. And it's also super important for me to advocate for very sort of safe and inclusive workplaces, both for women and for everyone. Over the 30 years that I worked, things got better. And so for the last 10 or 12 years, I have been in a position to sort of really sort of set the tone for my companies. And I didn't realize how bad things still were until I retired and started talking to people and hearing stories. And, you know, because sort of at my companies, things had gotten better because once you have women in executive leadership, sort of by definition, they get better. So yeah, so I'm spending all of my time now doing that and hoping just to get more women leaders. And, And I also didn't realize, like, I'm very focused on STEM because I think that's where I can be the most authentic because that's where I came from. But women that I've talked to, over the last six months. It's the same in law. It's the same in oil and gas. It's the same in construction. There are so many industries that are facing the same issues. And I don't think they're really that hard to overcome. I think we just need to do the work. Mm. Mm. 
I love that. Well, that's, that's better than the alternative, right? Than being extremely crazy, hard to overcome and everyone's working really hard at it. Now we just need to put the effort into something that is totally solvable, right? Right. right. I love that you, you focused on driving. So I'm, I'm reading your bio. You were driving business outcomes and, and keyword creating places where people love to work. I, I, that shouldn't be like so profound, but I feel like it is like a lot of times you have one or the other. So how did you, I guess, first of all, what made you care to do that or see that that was important sure. and, and how did you do that? Well, I think that, you know, part of it is looking is what lens you're looking through. Right. And I had been around a long time already and had worked in some places that and, and I don't want to say they were horrible and often they weren't horrible for me, right? Often if you're outspoken and have a little bit of, I don't really care attitude, you're the person that sort of gets left alone, but you can see sort of how the workplace impacts others. So, you know, I had friends or colleagues or heard rumors about people where really the workplace environment, which was fine or good for me was awful for them. And so that was an important thing for me when I kind of went down the startup route was to create places where, first of all, they could be fun. I mean, it wasn't just all about women. It was, you know, if we're working 60 or 70 hours a week, like we can stop and go out to lunch or go have a beer or joke around or any number of things. Right. And still be very serious about our jobs, Mm -hmm. right? It's not one or the other. So it was really important to me to have a good atmosphere for everyone. On top of that, it was very important to hire a lot of women, right? We're 50% of the population. Because when you have a good mix of men and women in your organization, not only are you sort of empowering your women, you're making men that then see, hey, they know as much as I do. We're all equal. So it's really a lot of times the men that create the safe workplace for women. So if you, if you get people young, like my last company, basically, you know, we hired people right out of college or grad school because we felt Mm -hmm. like we can teach them the job and then they won't come in with any bad habits. So we had a very, very young staff. That's the time to get people. So they're thinking about workplace environments being just as important as the work. Yes. Yes, that's huge. Yeah. Impressionable. And I, do miss them. I do. I absolutely miss them like crazy. So that was a hard choice for me. I bet. I bet. But I feel like you're you're kind of tapping into that world in a different way, at least on LinkedIn. I know that's how I kind of love how we met and I got connected with you. You know, it was in a, you know, LinkedIn scroll. And I think someone in my network was connected to you. And so I saw something they liked and I immediately was like, whoa, this is different and authentic and awesome on LinkedIn because what you were talking about and and a post I specifically remember that I reached out to you about and everything, you know, the rest is history was something you posted about harassment in the workplace and a, and a story that, that you were telling about yourself from years ago. And, you know, I reached out to you and, and thanked you for that. And, you know, I think like 20 minutes later, we were having a virtual coffee, which was awesome in our sweaty workout gear. That's right. You get me early enough and I'm completely available, right? It was, it was awesome. And yeah, so I feel like that authentic voice isn't always seen especially on a platform like LinkedIn, where it's typically, you know, a bit more, I don't know, what's the word? A little, I guess more, perf- sale, little more salesy, a little more, people like to look good, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think about that too, because even on my post, I, I like, I post a lot about what a great leader I am. And then sometimes I'll post like, this is, let me tell you about some of my fails, right? Because, because, because leaders fail, people fail. Yes. That particular post it's funny because, you know, I, my posts run the gamut. What, what I've realized is that I use LinkedIn like a journal. So I don't really have a strategy. I don't really have anything. I wake up 
and go for my walk in the morning with my husband. And then I come back and I post about either what we talked about or what I'm thinking about or whatever. So I literally use it like a journal. Mm -hmm. But I knew that that post would resonate with people just because of kind of what had been, people had been kind of liking and stuff before that. So I specifically made sure that the day that I posted that, that I had my whole day clear because I knew that people would reach out to me and I wanted to be available to respond. I didn't, you know, cause, cause a lot of times like I'll post something in the morning and then maybe that evening I'll get on and, and respond to things. Cause you know, a lot of times it's like what I had for breakfast. Right. But this one, I knew that, you know, potentially people were going to reach out to me privately because my network, a lot of people don't like things are common on them. They, they private message me, but I had no idea the amount of people that would reach out. I mean, I posted that a month ago and still every day it gets shares and comments and likes. It's up to like 500,000 views. Whoa. And it makes me so sad, right? It makes me so sad that this resonates with so many people. And it's not just about sexual harassment. It's about harassment in general and gaslighting and things that are still happening in your career. And, and I think you know, kind of when I retired, I was, I was sort of patting myself on the back. I'm like, you know, I, I've probably mentored over the course of my career, like 50 women, and I am doing a good job. I am making a difference. And then I retired and I sort of started looking at statistics on things. And I thought, you know what, shit, I haven't done anything like that. Like I thought I was doing so great and really I was doing, not moving the bar at all. And so that is when I really sort of focused in on you know, how can I make women's work lives better and give them a sense of community? Because I do think that that is really, really missing for women. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. Um, I mean, we're finding you, obviously, and, and exploding your, your DMs. I guess one of my biggest questions for you is, is why? Why, why do you care so much? Why do you give a fuck? You yeah. know, you you had this career, you, like you said, you did mentor women and, and really every person that you mentor that, that is huge because that person's going to impact so many other people. You know, one could argue that you, you earned your retirement, you earned your rest, your time with your family, your, you know, leisure. And, and so why do you care so much? Well, so let me just start with the practical reasons, right? So my husband works, my girls are gone. The rest of my friends, I'm the first of my friends to retire. My friends aren't retired. And then take a big fat layer of COVID. So one of the reasons I retired in February was because 2020 was going to be the year of Stephanie. So both of my daughters were getting married. It's my 30th anniversary. My husband and I were going to Asia for three weeks. I had nine different trips planned with different friends and things. And so really I was too busy to work. And then COVID hit and I have not left. Literally I retired February 8th and March 15th with COVID. Yeah. That'll put a damper on things. Put a huge damper on things. Yes. And so, you know, I also just from a practical perspective had time to think about like, like, what am I going to do? How, how can I, do something good. And I just, I just sort of had this idea if I could every day either put a smile on someone's face or make something they were going through seem more normalized, then that's a good day for me. And so then I just started, I just got on LinkedIn and started posting and just started posting about, you know, my first, my first post was about me feeling like I wasn't a good mother and how the girls had given me feedback as adults, which were like, well, like that was our life. Like what else did we know? Of course we're good. Mm -hmm. To me, that was a little bit of a throwaway post. Like I'm just going to put this out there because I had not really been posting before and it's, and it's intimidating. It's intimidating to start putting stuff out there. And I woke up the next morning and it had like 2000 likes and like 200 comments. And I was like, wait, wow. what? And, and then in the midst of that, there was a, you know, 60 ish year old white man that commented, 
put it on Facebook. And that there was a shift in me at that moment. And I was like, if I am talking about being a working mom and you as an executive level, executive look man are telling me that this should not be on a platform about professionals, we have a big problem. And I think yes. that, and then that was, that was the beginning. That was me kind of, okay, now I'm just going to lose my mind all over this. Whoa. I did not know that. And I am so grateful and so proud of you. <laughs> yes. And, like, you know what, and that's also when I decided, that's also when I decided, and, and my friends that know me, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I'm pretty a little edgier in person than I am on LinkedIn. That's when I decided also that I wasn't going to fight with people on LinkedIn that any second of time that I took arguing with someone to try to change their mind was the second of time that I wasn't able to put out my message. And so that. you'll see people, if you look on my post, you'll see like, I like, 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 and then I just won't like something of someone's. That is my equivalent of leaving you on red, right? Like I just, I just don't say anything. And, and my network is very loyal and sometimes people will jump in and start saying things, but I have made the decision and some people completely disagree with this, but I have made the decision to just leave that out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you leave it. Karma might take its course, but you right. disengage, right? That's right. Like that's right. I, I love that though. That makes so much sense that, you know, you only have so much energy so might as well focus on the places you want to put it out there. Right. The people right. that you want to help that like, is it really going to, you know, move the needle if you're arguing with some stranger on LinkedIn exactly. Exactly. about a difference in opinion? Particularly when they're so wrong. <laughs> Particularly when in that, that case, I was obviously right. Like, and, and, you know, people call, and I am, people are welcome to call me out. And I, as long as it's respectful, I will engage in debate on things, you know, in, June, you know, with Black Lives Matter and everything, I did a couple of posts and it was interesting because people, people will often say that um, either I'm tone deaf or that I'm performative, which I didn't know what that meant. So I had to look it up. Um, and there's one more that I can't think of. And it's so funny because I'll have one comment that say, says that. And then I will get like a hundred DMs from people saying, Thank you for trying to amplify our voice. Thank you for this. Thank right. you for that. You know what I mean? And so, it, so I just decided that, you know what, I just, you know, actually I was feeling a little bit ugh, the other day and somebody said something and I was like, hey, you know what, if that was the worst thing anyone ever accused me of, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. But I try not to, I try not to respond. And, and you know, I always try to come from a place of good intent. Sometimes I get it wrong. And sometimes people tell me, hey, you got this wrong. I mean, even today I was posting, um, tomorrow is National Suicide Awareness Day. Mm -hmm. And so I was posting early because I thought, oh, you know what, let's get everybody so they have a plan for tomorrow on what to do. And someone really nicely said, you know, you don't say committed suicide anymore. You, there's, there's other ways to talk about that. And I was like, oh. point taken, let me, I'm going to, and, and I left the comments on there. I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to edit my post right now. So everyone, you know, no one sees me saying that and thinks it's okay, but then I left it on there and, and thanked her for letting me know. And I truly meant that. Like I am, I am happy to learn on LinkedIn and same yeah. thing, same thing with my pronouns, right? I wasn't sure about my pronouns. I had a conversation with someone I met very much like I met you. She had reached out to me and we were actually talking about negotiating a job offer she was getting. And she had shared with me that she was a lesbian. And at the end of the conversation, she said, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? And I did one of those like, Oh God, I shouldn't ask her. Oh, I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's going to be uncomfortable. And I said, look, can I talk to you about pronouns? And we had this amazing conversation. And she said, she said, you know what? I, I've been reluctant to put mine up too, but if you put yours up, it normalizes it. Right. It, yes. And it makes it seem like you're a safe space. And I'm like, I'm going to put them up right now and then I'm going to do a post about it. And I probably had 150 people say like, I'm going to put mine up right now. So it was, I mean, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it, it that's great. something I've thought about too, a lot where internally you might have this, this talk and you're not sure if what you're doing is going to, who it's going to resonate with or right. if it's the right or, or wrong thing. Or if it's thing. for you, right? Was I, yeah. Because what I was thinking is, oh, this is not for me. 
Mm. Right. I don't want to infringe on somebody. The other thing right. is, is I have this incredibly huge sense of self-importance. So I really feel like, oh my gosh, if I do this post, it's going to bring down the whole movement, which clearly it won't. But I like, so things like, like my normal things, I don't worry about, but there are some things when I'm talking about race um, or I'm talking about, you know, any variety of other things that I really, really try to make my point very clear and be careful. And mm. like, I don't really care if I, I don't care if I offend people not in the group that I'm talking to. Right, right. You'll find your people or your audience who right. it speaks to and right. yeah, and add, add or support the conversation or movement, but not take away from it or be per- performative right. or whatever. Well, I try not to be. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's, well, and that's a tricky word too, I think, because I think the fact that you're thinking about it at all yeah. is a good sign, right? I think if someone is, it was being completely performative, they would just be like blasting and not thinking about it at all. And, and it's, no, who's to say what you're doing in your private life, right? Right. You, right. you might be at a protest. Well, you and, might it's, be... and it's funny because I think it was before we knew each other, but I did a, a post about, and I and it basically started with like you know I drive a Range Rover, my, you know my 401k is fully funded, blah 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 blah. You know I'm a five ten white blonde woman, and people see me and they make assumptions, and they'll lean into me and say like, oh, what about the looting? right? Because they assume things about me. And, and my point was that if people do that, it's our job to call them on it. Yeah. Like, yes. like, why would you say that to me? Oh, do you mean the protests? Not right. It's our job. Mm-hmm. Because I write very long posts, a lot of times people can't bear to get to the end of them. So there were several people who were like, you can't equate someone making assumption about you to being black and being in danger for your life, which was not my goal. That, that wasn't my point at all, which, and right, I didn't right. clearly didn't do a good job of that. But then, you know, but I had probably, you know, 75 reach out to me, and, you know, privately and say like, Stephanie, that's the most important post that I've seen all week because you were making it so people that look like you could understand a little bit more. You know, and I certainly wasn't saying, comparing the two, I was just saying, hey, if somebody shows you that they're a racist, you should say something. Yeah. This um, is your job. Exactly. This is what you can do. Exactly. But that was the, the first time. That was the have. first time I had to look up performative. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so, you know, I try to be careful and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. The effort I think is so huge because, and especially like I was saying on LinkedIn where it's, it's more like everyone wants to look good and it's easier to not say something right? to like keep that up than to say the wrong thing and have some sort of backlash. Well, and it's funny too, because, because I, especially with that one, I had so many negative comments and it was kind of like the same four people who were just kind of feeding into each other. I realized later, but my, I showed it to my daughters who are black and I said, you know, like, should I take this down? And my older daughter said, well, yeah, the problem mom is that you didn't grow up with Twitter. She's like, so everything hurts your feelings. She's like, if you had grown up with Twitter where people are eviscerating you on a daily basis, you would just be like moving right past this. And I was like, all right, point taken. Yeah. Point taken. So mm-hmm. I kept on, soldiered on. I love it. And again, open to learning from the people around you. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So would you say that then women's leadership, specifically mm-hmm. in STEM, mm-hmm. is sort of your focus right now? Right. Well, yeah. So I think, so it's my focus because I think that's where I have the most credibility. Mm -hmm. If we, my world domination plan has always been, you know, safe workplaces for everyone. So, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, like all of those things where you really are just hiring people based on their skills and their potential and, you know, 
making your company better, making everybody's lives easier, and just really safe workplaces. But frankly, you know, I didn't feel like I could be credible doing that. Hmm. Right? But if I make STEM better for women, it automatically makes it better for everyone. Yes. So. Yes, I love that. And that's, that's something that I, I've heard people say similarly, but I don't think it's, it's said wide enough because there are people like you who are pushing for women in leadership, women, women's equal pay, you know, things like that, and see that as like almost favoring someone in, you know, even if it's balancing out the favoring of the other end of the spectrum from years and years and years. But I think what, what you just said is amazing because what a lot of people don't realize is that it's balancing it out for everyone. Like it makes it better for everyone because of what, there are so many things that women bring. Right. 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 Like a lot of those things you just said about workplace culture, well, and the thing about talking about women too, right, is that, I mean, it's almost like a misnomer to say, to advocate for women because we're all so different, right? We're different shapes and sizes. We're mm-hmm. different races and cultures. We have different dreams. We have different goals. And so, you know, w- when a company says to me, how can I make my workplace better for women? It's not a one size fits all answer, you know? And, and if I ever have to narrow it down to one thing, which sometimes I do, is that the way your company can support women best is to get rid of this idea of a traditional career path where you graduate from college and you do your job and you're good at it. And then you're the manager and then you're good at that. And then you move up and then you're good at that. And then you're the manager, right? And so you have this, this very specific traditional career path. So if I leave for two years to raise my family, or I leave for a year to go on a volunteer trip, or I do any of these things, it's not starting back at ground zero when I come back. I didn't forget all the stuff I knew, right? All of my good things from before are still there. Sure. Maybe I have to come up to speed on some new technology, Mm -hmm. right? If, If you're in STEM, sure. But I can do that. I was successful before. So that would be the one thing I would say to companies you know, embrace different career paths. Everyone, it does not have to be on the exact same, you know, step by step. This is just the way it is path. Life is not linear. Right. right. Oh my gosh. That blew my mind the first time I heard it because everything you're saying right now is speaking straight to this, the heart of someone who has had career changes and things like that. And I'm all about transferable skills. Like- Right. Oh my goodness. And, and frankly, often, and I don't like to talk about soft skills because I think that may, makes them feel a little less important than they are. So I generally say complementary skills, but sort of your team building skills, your leadership skills, some of these things, if you are already good at them, it's easier to learn a new technology or it's easier to learn a new skill and combine those things. Or just as importantly, you can lead a team and not have every single one of the skills. Right? And you can still bring a team together to get to a product or get something done. So yeah, I just, I just think that the way that we look at both a career path, the way that we do requirements for, on job descriptions and things, I think those are the things that need to really change. Like I would never say you need to hire all women, but what I would say is every time you um, have a job opening, you need to have a diverse group of candidates that apply. And sure, then pick the one that, that you know, will, will be best in that situation. But don't have everybody look exactly the same in your applicant pool. Right, right. And also, and more importantly, I think that the superpower of companies that is often overlooked is internal women. Please tell me more. No, because what happens is, and you can even see all this, like just, just recently with like all the new people, the new executives being hired, you know, for DNI and stuff. It is often they have come from outside the company. You cannot tell me that there is not a woman in there who has been working her ass off and can do this job. 
maybe she doesn't have sponsorship. Maybe for whatever reason they think, oh, she's more focused on her family than on her career, which I also believe is not a thing. But, you know, just from every perspective, from a coming up to speed perspective, from a cost of an employee perspective, bringing up someone internally, 90, and I'm making up this number, but, you know, 90 plus percent of the time makes much more sense than hiring from outside. And it just, mm. for women in particular, doesn't seem to happen. Very rarely are we the ones who are sort of secretly tapped for a job before the job gets posted, which we all know yes. happens all the time. Very rarely is that a woman. Well, you just confirmed something that I've had a suspicion of for a while. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yep. I completely agree though. Everything you just said makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, and, and again, and, and it's not hard stuff. Yeah. I mean, people say things, I'm like, I, there is nothing really, absolutely nothing that I don't, that I talk about that is not literally common sense. Yep. Ever. Right. It, it's just for whatever reason, people don't think about it or not everybody thinks about it that way or not people in decision-making positions think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge right there is that there are for sure, people thinking about it, they're just not in those positions right. or don't have a voice or, or if they do have a voice, if they do speak up, it's sort of, you know, pushed to the side uh, or it's not as important as X, Y, Z that someone else thought of. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So how are you, how are you helping? How are you, how are just by speaking to women to I think I told you uh, when we talked before, you know, I kind of had this dream that I was going to sort of be an executive coach. And so I got some certificates and things, before, you know, kind of that last year while I was transitioning my job. And then I just, and I kept saying to my friend, like, yeah, I really want to do this, but I want to leave, you know, I want to make sure that I leave time to kind of mentor women because that's what I care about. And I sort of got to this conclusion, which was like, I don't want to make a bunch of middle-aged, rich, white guys even more rich. And so, because that's that basically, you know, that's the majority of entrepreneurs, yeah. right? That's the majority of people who would be using my coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I have a program for women, uh, which is sort of kind of as you're moving to an executive level, a, a leadership program called the STEM Leadership Collective. But when COVID happened, and, you know, frankly, it's expensive, right? I mean, that, that's the people that it's for. It's, it's, it is, I think it's going to be very valuable, but it's expensive. So I just decided that I was going to just start giving away stuff, just start, you know, talking for, talking to people. I speak at a lot of events. Um, I just, before this, filmed a keynote for a big women's leadership conference, which for me was excruciating because I'm more of a storyteller. So sitting in front of my computer and doing like a 20 minute talk with no interaction or feedback was really a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm doing some, I'm doing some corporate stuff. I'm doing some corporate programs for women, some kind of webinars, some kind of big groups and small groups. And, and I think that's probably what I will do long-term is more sort of corporate programs. Though I am going to do one little thing, which is based on the post I told you about, about the harassment in the workplace, I am going to do sort of a small group boot camp kind of thing, which is sort of, you know, it's going to be a paid program. It's going to be four weeks and it's not going to be a, this is coaching. We're going to have a mind shift kind of thing. It's going to really be a boot camp, which is like, maybe we'll have a little mindset shift. I don't know, but it's also going to be like very practical, very tactical role-playing some things like this. Mm -hmm. So these women that are, when you get harassed at work, it's become very clear to me that you lose a little bit of your sparkle mm -hmm. and you're a little bit less than you were before. So if it's sexual harassment, maybe you're a little less smiley or a little less friendly. If it's one of these things where, you know, people sort of, cut you out or, you know, you wonder if you're smart enough. So there's a you lose a little something and it takes a, and I can, you know, from experience, it takes a long, long time to get back. So I think I'm going to do some kind of workshops around that, which I actually think will be sort of, you know, within one month immediately impactful for people. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm excited to do that. And yeah, I, 
I don't know. I don't know what else I'm going to do. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That alone sounds awesome. Speaking of mindsets though. Yes. Yes. What would you say is the mindset that you have or the mindset that you feel like you have to have to do what you do, you know, every day in your life or to live that purpose, to care a lot? You mean now? Yeah. So, so now what is the mindset that you, that you hold on to, to drive the purpose that you have? So I would say right now, today, I would say it's a little bit of gratitude you know, I, it's, it's a little bit, you know, for the grace of God, this is how we got here. You know, I, I think about times, like I think about times where my husband and I were cash advancing to buy groceries, you know, or, or these things that over the years that we've gone through, you know, or, or the way people treated us or, you know, just, just a variety of things that have happened. And, you know, then, you know, my girls growing up and, you know, being healthy and being brilliant and going to college and being happy and all of these things. And, and, and I think about COVID is excruciating, but I'm not worried about having a roof over my head because, you know, Mm -hmm. we've always been very financially conservative. And so that's, that's not, that's not something that we're worried about. And so when I think about, and, and I certainly have times where I'm like, oh, this is awful, this sucks, whatever. But I do think for me right now, you know, I can acknowledge that I'm pretty lucky. And I don't mean that I didn't work hard, right? Because I don't like people to either to say like, oh, you're so lucky either, because most of us have had to work hard to get where we are. But I do feel like giving back is sort of the right thing to do. I mean, I'm, I'm at an age, I turned 55 this summer and I'm, I'm at an age where like, you start to think about your legacy, right? You start to think about what people say at your funeral. And I have a really, really strong, great group of friends. But if I could impact women at scale and they could say like, you know what? She was a positive influence or she, you know, on this, did this one tiny thing that made a difference for a few people that to me is everything. That, yes, yes. Imagine if the person that you messaged back on LinkedIn or had a virtual coffee with (laughs) or whatever was president one day. I don't know. Like, right. right. Because, right. Or did something to help 10 more women, right? It doesn't even need to be that big, right? If I make one person smile every day and then they do the same and, and I, and I get, it's like, and I do not have this sort of Pollyanna personality where I'm like just kind of a do-gooder, but I do see some benefit in just being nice. And, and I, 10 years ago, I would have never said that. And, and I know, you know, people say, oh, well, you can't solve this problem and this problem and this solve problem by being nice, but it can't hurt. Mm. And it doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you, so you said 10 years ago, you wouldn't have said that. How has that evolved over time? What what has changed in those 10 years? You know what I think changes? And I think, and I think part of it is kind of generational the way I came up, right? So I came up in corporate life, having to take on which were perceived very masculine tendencies, Mm -hmm. right? Like I wore pantsuits Mm -hmm. and I was the ball buster. And I was very aggressively and vocally, everyone knew where I was trying to get to and what I was willing to do to get there. And it's one of those things sort of when you get to that point where you're sort of reached your goal and you think, wow, is this really, really wanted? You know, and and it was good and it was all good. And, And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, people talk about regrets or whatever. If you did things differently, you don't end up where you are right now. And so, you know, I don't know that I necessarily believe it. Oh, I would have done this differently, though. I do feel like I would have been a little bit softer. You know, I I talk about women in executive leadership and it's like a game of musical chairs. So there's 10 chairs and there's five men and the music starts and you go around and you go around and you go around and the music stops and there's a chair for everyone. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman, there is five women and one chair. 
and the music starts and you walk around and you walk around and you walk around and the music stops. And those five women are literally elbowing each other out of the way to try to get to that one chair. Well, I was, I had the biggest elbows, right? I was eating people alive to be the one woman in the room, right? And I made every effort to be the one in that chair. So while I wouldn't have changed anything, I do wish that I had been a little bit more collaborative and a little bit softer and a little bit more of an ally to other women at work. I, okay. I can see that. I can see that. But I, I, but then I'll go back to what you said just before that, that you're looking back at your experience and you're choosing something different now. Right. And that experience made you who you are, so, right. which is awesome. And it, and it gave me the background to talk about. Yes. Right. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's one thing when someone talks, talks about leadership from a theoretical perspective and it's different. And I, and I think that some of the stuff resonates with people a little bit more because I can say like, ugh, I did this and this was the mistake that I made. Or, hey, I did this and I'm a hero. Or I did this, made this tiny change and it's actually based on real life events. Like I don't make up the, sto- the stories that I, t- I mean, basically I tell a story every day on LinkedIn. I don't mm-hmm. make up the story. Sometimes I exaggerate it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I generally put a disclaimer at the end, or sometimes I'll completely make something up, like the time I was an assassin. But at the end, I'll say, "Yeah, this is made up, right?" Right. You know, but but those are those are real things that happened, and I think that people then can kind of see themselves in that situation or a close situation and think, "Okay, how would I do this? How would I do this differently? Or how can I be ready when this situation comes up for me?" Because you know, like I say, the, the stuff is not it's not unusual stuff. It's not unheard of stuff. It's everyday leadership situations that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that storytelling is pure caring in my opinion, because what better way to learn than from someone else's experiences and, and relate to them or now or learn something, right? Well, sure. And then a lot, and a lot of things are also, you know, there, there is this whole, and, and you know how I feel about this, is there's this whole idea of work-life balance, which has a couple of assumptions that aren't true. One is that it can actually be done, which is not the case. Everything is never 50-50. But the other assumption that's flawed there is that your work and your life are separate. And that's not the case. You can learn, like for women in leadership in particular, there's so many things that you do in your day-to-day life that absolutely translate into being a good leader at work. So a lot, you know, I mean, I talk a lot about, um, fortunately for me, my husband is not active on LinkedIn because I talk about him a lot. You do. But, but it's no different than, than how you would treat, you know, a problem employee, right? I mean, it's no different than a work situation. Right. So, you know, I, I think that some of these things, particularly when employers are like, oh, you need leadership experience. I'm like, I got my two-year-old to eat peas. You know, I can negotiate a contract. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just kind of looking at things a little bit differently and looking at your skills a little bit differently. One of the statistics that makes me the most sad is that in a job description, a man will apply for a job if they sort of hit 40% of what the description asks for. And a woman, it's closer to 80% before she'll even apply. So what I would like is for women to think about their day-to-day activities and how that translates into business stuff. So in fact, you do check a lot of these boxes. You're just maybe haven't done it with that title. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I love that. That is gold. That is, we need to get some megaphones or, you know, like one of those, I don't know, police cars and shout that through neighborhoods. Right. That's huge. I feel like I have definitely been guilty of that. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that half of the population just has that built in where they're like, yeah, I can do that. And the other half is like, oh, are they going to find me out? That's right. Oh, wait, I I do have myself. I disqualify myself before I even try. Yeah. 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 But in fact, you do have those skills. Sure. You're just, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask you. Okay. Which is, so I'm going <laughs> to challenge you to come up with a different answer. 
Okay. What is one trap that that people who care a lot fall into at like a pitfall and and how how can they avoid that or how can they navigate that better? Well, I'm not my answer's probably not going to be that different. I do I do think a trap that it's easy to fall into when you care a lot and want to get a message out there is really about the way the world sees you Mm. to sort of figure out how you're going to establish some authority and always be the authority and always look like, Oh, it's not so hard. You can do it too. And some of those kind of things, I know that I'm not that person. So I don't try to be for the most part. Sometimes I do, but, but you know, I, but I'm also not trying to build my livelihood around this, mm. right? It's not as important where if to me, where if someone says, oh, who is an expert on women in leadership where somebody goes, oh, it's Stephanie Holt. Though that's starting to happen and that is very heartwarming for me. But, you know, I think that it's hard when you're caring and you're trying to get a message across to not want to make sure that every single thing that you do and say is on message and is exactly right and is people like it and people like you. I, I, I think that that's hard. I mean, it would certainly be hard for me. Mm, so it sounds kind of like perfectionism a little bit or a people bit. pleasing. I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. That is tough. That is really tough. Yeah. So how, how do we not do that? Do you have any advice? Well, I mean, that's, that's the big question. I mean, that's the big question for women in general, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to a lot of people sort of about COVID and how my worry is that it literally takes women back 10 years. And it's not because everybody's partners are assholes and won't help with the homeschooling and the kids and everything. It's because many of us, me included, now that we're all home, have sort of reverted back to more traditional gender roles because we just think we're better at it, Mm. right? I mean, I make dinner, my husband makes dinner. I make a salad and it has an avocado. He makes a salad and it's lettuce. You know what (laughs) I mean? So it's just some of these things that we're like, oh, I'm going to do it because I would just do it better. Mm. And, you know, I'd like to say we're going to stop a million years of evolution and, and stop doing that. I don't know that that's the case, but I do think it's important to acknowledge it. I do mm-hmm. think it's important to say like, hey, is this him not helping or is this the company not giving me an opportunity or is this my kids just being horrible or is this me? Oof. I do think that that is an important distinction to make and either and any of the answers is okay. And then if the answer is, it's just me, then you need to decide whether it's worth it to try to make a change or not. And sometimes it's not like, I'm going to make the salad for the rest of my life. I acknowledge that. He, you know, he's never going to be better than me at that. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, and that's a choice I make. But I think acknowledging it and really understanding and then making a decision is what's really empowering for women. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. Yep. That, that's it. That's it folks right there. (laughs) Okay. So next, okay. Who is a person that's influenced you or had a positive impact on your life that you feel like has helped shape you? So, well, that's interesting. So I do feel like you know, I had my kids young. So I had, I had my first daughter when I was 25. And so basically she was there for my entire career. Mm. And my, my other daughter's only a couple of years younger. And I do feel like wanting to set a certain example for them has really shaped me when sometimes you just want to give up or sometimes you think like, oh, you know what? I'm fine being a middle manager, most people don't get here. Or, you know, or this company's awful, but I'm making good money, so I'm going to stay. I think that having people that I was trying to show that it could be done is what's really made a difference in my life. 
Because frankly, at work, there weren't that many women at that point to look up to. You know, I mean, I certainly had some great male mentors. Um, you know, my dad was an engineer and, and, you know, was very impactful in my life. But, you know, as, as corny as it sounds, I think it's my girls. That's not corny at all. I love that. And I love, that's like, I love the twist you just put on that question. I mean, I was not expecting that. And <laughs> I, I love it. That's beautiful. Just such a different perspective to think about where you can get inspiration from, really. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure the feeling is super mutual too. Some days more than others, but yes. <laughs> All right. What is a piece of advice, which I know you've already given some awesome nuggets for us, but what is, if you could boil it down to just one yep. piece of advice for listeners to either contemplate mm-hmm. or take action on? Mm-hmm. What would that be? So this one, this one I know because this one, this is my standard one that I give and I really, really believe in it. It is do you. So I have been very successful without a lot of technical skills. And honestly, my superpower is being a hype girl. So I can go into an organization and I can build a team and I can't do the work of anyone on that team, but I can make that team so cohesive and so interested in getting to the finish line and and us all being happy together that it's worked for me. And it's worked for me for many, many years. And I never pretended to be technical. I never pretended to be something that I'm not. And so there are certain skill sets where people sort of are dismissive. And my skill set is one of those things. And it was always like, oh, you should go back and get your engineering degree or you should do this. Or, or on the flip side, someone who's incredibly technical. I have friends that are incredibly technical and became principal engineers and are well-respected and have hundreds of patents and whatever. But take what you're good at and run with that. Don't try to ever be somebody that you're not. Mm. Music to everyone's ears, (laughs) definitely to mine, because you just gave me words for the thing that I've been trying to figure out what it is. And I think, I think I'm a hype girl too. Right. I think I love bringing people together and watching them rock things. Yeah. Amazing. I, and maybe I'm biased, but I feel like that is key. It's such an important part of things. Right. If you, th- if you think of things from the perspective of what you are versus, not, versus what you're not, it really changes everything for you. Playing to your strengths, yeah. right? Yes. Ooh, that's a good one. That's so good. <laughs> All right. One thing okay. that you've never done but you would love to try, or, or maybe not even... I don't know if love is the right word, but that you want to try, whether it pushes you out of your comfort zone or it's just, I mean, it could be anything. You know, it's funny because my comfort zone is pretty narrow at this point in my life. And I have always sort of believed that I never wanted to have a bucket list. Like if I thought of something I wanted to do, we do it. Because, you know, because you hear about all these people that they retire and they die or, you know, you know, I'm at the point where my friends are dying, you know, where, where things that people have waited their whole lives to do. So, again, this is going to sound kind of corny, but like, I always tell my friends and my family, right, if something were to happen to me, and I died tomorrow, there would be a lot of people who were really sad, they would be missing out on a lot of fun for a lot of years. But there is literally nothing that anybody could say, oh, she didn't have time to do this or she wished she had done this and she didn't. Because I, for my whole life, have done it as I thought of it. Uh, Can we all be more you? Well, I don't know that you want to do that, but I do think that that, you know what, (laughs) the thing is, what, what I realized is 
you know, like I say, I had kids, I was the first one of my friends to have kids and, and in California having kids at 25 is young. And what I realized is you never have enough time or enough money or you're never quite mentally prepared for anything that you do. So why not just do it? Mm. Yep. All right. There are a bunch of things I'm going to do right after this. Well, you know what? And unfortunately, my husband does have a bucket list. So like last, oh. so his bucket list um, included like the Rose Parade, which I was like, I will never do that. So last New Year's, we went to the Rose Parade. This year, it was supposed to be Times Square, which I wanted to do not at all. And I think COVID's going to get me off the hook for that. So unfortunately, yeah, the things I have to do are things that I don't want to do, but will do to be a nice supportive wife. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's awesome. That's good. That's good. A good partner. Yeah. That's good. So is the, is it the crowds? Is that what is the crowds? It's the, you know what? I, I'm too old to go to a concert and not be in a box, right? It's the crowds. It's the porta potties. It's the, you know, I'm an accountant, right? I'm a planner. I like to know what's going to happen. ABC. I don't want to just go down to the street and stand around and see what happens. Yeah. That's, that's just not me. Okay, so the things that you've never done that you're probably going to try are all of the things that your husband That's right. Wants that's that's to do. his bucket list. It's his bucket list that I <laughs> up till now refuse to do. He never refuses my stuff, but I periodically refuse his. That's awesome. Kind of, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Stephanie, do you have a cause or an organization or something like that, that you really care about and you would like to share with anybody listening? I do. In fact, I do. So I somehow miraculously at the beginning of COVID met a woman and she had a startup company that was, they're sort of the connection between colleges and corporations. And she was doing some internships in STEM and we met on LinkedIn had a conversation and I was going to go to the Bay. I was going to fly to the Bay area to meet her. And three days later, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And we had a second conversation and we started talking about how so many college students were going to lose their internships because of COVID because they were just drying up and companies didn't know how to do them virtually. Mm -hmm. And she for two summers had already done very, very technical virtual internships for students around the world. And, and her platform is all about leveling the playing field for everyone and really coming out um, with skills-based recruiting. So by some miracle, while the IRS was furloughed, I was able to get a nonprofit approved, um, which is called Standing for STEM. And it is, so it's a 501c3, so it's fully tax deductible, and then I raised money this from, you know, most of my friends and actually a fair amount of money from people on LinkedIn to sponsor internships for students who wouldn't otherwise have them. So um, I do have uh, a nonprofit. It's clear that students are going to have the same problem this year. Um, yeah. With, if, you know, internship that was impactful to your life and helpful. If you want to help out a student, we specifically, when people apply, do not ask their gender, where they're from, or what college they're from, because we don't care. You know, not every student at one of five schools is better than every student in every other place in the world. Mm, and love so, that. you know, we, so we did 500 internships this summer. In, in fact, they're, they're just kind of ending up. And I mean, we're getting some amazing feedback. We're going back to some of the colleges now and seeing what we can do to best support them and their students. Yeah. So my, my internship a uh, nonprofit is near and dear to my heart, still, you know, in STEM, still about leveling the playing field for everyone. That is so cool. That is so awesome, especially yeah. right now where, I mean, everyone's dealing with this in one way or another, right, with mm -hmm. COVID, but I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in my college years right now and navigating that and trying to figure out how to keep going right. and what to do next. Right. So the fact that you're providing. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, we're, you know, they're free, they're free internships and you know, there's, there's companies charging students 5,000, 8,000 dollars 
to do an internship that's not nearly as technical as the ones we're doing. Like I just, this whole, this whole idea of people profiting from COVID just hits me the wrong way so very much that, yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing everything I can on the opposite side of that. Wait a minute. There are companies who charge to intern? Yeah, yeah they, char- they charge students for these sort of educational internships, or they charge students and say that they guarantee they'll match them up with someone. It's, yeah, it's, it's a racket. That's and, and, I did, and it's some, and a part of business I didn't even know about until I got involved in this nonprofit. And, and, and it was just because, you know, I, I was, even before COVID, I was interested because of just the idea of this being open to everyone across the world and really leveling the playing field, um, which really resonated with me. But as I got after COVID and I got more and more involved in it, I was astounded at some of the things I saw. Wow. Yeah. And I love the aspect too of the things that you do not share as you're, you know, getting internships for people or, or placing people coming from somebody who went to a awesome school or yeah. awesome schools in California. I went to state schools, but sure. I didn't, you know, I didn't go to one of the big fancy, you know, yep. so I love that because I think like everything, everything you're about, what you're doing on LinkedIn, what you're doing with you know, your workshops, your boot camps, um, this organization really all points to, to leveling the playing field and for making an inclusive workplace that benefits everybody, not just the company, so. but the people working for the company, the people yeah. who have lives, the humans, right? That's the plan. I love it. That's the dream. <laughs> so Stephanie, where can folks find out more about you or contact you or? Sure. Well, so they can find me on LinkedIn and my LinkedIn, whatever URL is women in STEM and it goes right to Stephanie Holt. And I do have a website called stephonlife.com, which is where um, I post a lot of things. And then my nonprofit also has a website. It's called Standing for STEM but you can find that through all of my other avenues too. But those are the three best ways. I'm not on Twitter because people are too mean. So those are the best ways to find me. People are mean on Twitter. Right? I mean, there's still good stuff that happens on Twitter, but... Twitter's hilarious, but I'm not putting myself out there. Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right. I will definitely... I'll put all that information in the show notes so people can find you. and, And really just thank you for your time, Stephanie. And thank you for giving a fuck really well yeah thank you for inviting me i'm always happy to see you and um yeah you know what i I appreciate everything you're doing and trying to get the word out there and you know talking talking to people that care it's it's important it's been confirmed folks more women and other non-white cisgendered men in executive leadership positions makes the workplace better and safer for all no big deal. The fact that so much internal talent is overlooked when it's right there under the company's nose is pretty silly, right? And silly is putting it lightly. Stephanie so astutely pointed out, yes, a lot of the change that needs to happen to make things better for everyone means more women in positions of power, but also that men ultimately have to help create space for equity to become reality in the workplace. Yep, we're looking at you dudes. So something that was particularly validating for me during this conversation with Stephanie was that one can be successful without having a ton of technical skills. What's a word for exhale but bigger? Okay, well, just imagine a giant exhale. That's what I did when I heard that come out of her mouth. There's something about a woman who spent half of her career as an executive saying that, yes, you can build a team even if you can't do the work of every person on that team. And that is a valuable skill set to be able to make a team cohesive and interested and happy getting to the finish line together. It was equally as validating for me to hear 
A woman who spent half of her career as an executive say that it's also a skill set that many are dismissive of. Really, I feel seen. Also, the idea that we each have valuable skills from our own individual lived experiences makes me feel the world expand. Stephanie's story of the woman who said, I got my two-year-old to eat peas. I think I can negotiate a contract. Hell yeah. I just love when people say the things that no one else is saying, paving the way for a new kind of normal. Gritty, lived skills are glorious skills in my book. My very favorite part of this conversation is the advice that she talks about giving to companies who ask how to make work culture better for women. Throw away the idea of a traditional career path. Hmm. Yeah, I know um, one or a hundred women who would be down with that. Not to mention many other gendered and non-binary folks who are current work cultures and structures were just not made with in mind. No better time than the present to rewrite what a thriving workplace can look like for all people. This makes me think of something that next week's guests, who you do not want to miss, Blair Imani talks about, and it's related to equality and equity, but uh, you'll just have to tune in to hear what I'm talking about. Okay, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you feel empowered to lean into exactly who you are. As our gracious guest put it so succinctly, do you. And if you want more Stephanie Holt in your life, you can find info in the show notes on how to track down and learn more about her boot camps, workshops, Standing for STEM, or follow her always amusing LinkedIn posts. Thanks for listening, folks. I appreciate you being a part of this community of caring. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Keep giving a fuck. Keep being you. And remember... There's no such thing as caring too much. You, 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 you care too much. You, 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 you care too much. You, 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 you care too much. People who give a fuck, people who give a fuck, yeah. You care too much.